pulling that pastor privilege, putting your own grandkids up there. I like that. Okay, I respect that. <clears throat> Good morning. Today's scripture comes from Paul's letter to Timothy. First letter to Timothy, chapter 6. Starting in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So two months ago, I'm with my family, and we are waking up in our hotel room at Disney World. We're getting ready for the day, and my youngest son, seven years old, comes up to me and says, Dad, today I want to wear a hat. And I say, no, you can't wear a hat, because I know my son. I know that five minutes into being at the park, he will take the hat off and he will hand it to me. Now, that may not seem like a big thing to you, but when we go to Disney World, we pack heavy. And so my wife and I both have backpacks. There's water bottles and ponchos and snacks and everything that everybody could need for a long day at the park. And so one more thing to carry is unacceptable to me. But he says, Dad, please, I want to wear my hat. I say, listen, if you wear that hat... That hat is your responsibility, okay? I need you to understand this. This is your responsibility. You wanna wear the hat? Fine, but you will wear it all day or you will carry it. This is how it's going. Um, and he says, fine, I'll wear it all day or I'll carry it, no problem. When we get into the park, walking down Main Street, USA, the sun is rising and glittering. Oh, oh it's marvelous. <laughs> Halfway down the street, my seven-year-old son steps in front of me takes his hat off and hands it to me. <laughs> I looked at him. I said, no. <laughs> I'm his father, but I said, no, absolutely not. Because internally, what I'm thinking is, listen, you, you have to take responsibility for your stuff. Okay, now I, I was an only child. I grew up as a latchkey kid in the 80s. And the one thing I learned growing up is that you have to take care of yourself because nobody else is gonna take care of stuff for you. And if you don't take care of your stuff, your life is gonna be wrecked. You're gonna end up living in a van down by the river. <laughs> and you'll be a drug dealer. That's what happens. So there's a lot riding on this hat. An entire life worth of trajectory is riding on this hat. So I say, no, you agreed that you would carry it, so you have to hold it. And that's when I notice something very strange happen. He says, okay. And he walks over to my wife, <laughs> who is on her phone looking at ride times and wait times and where we should go, and he puts his hand out, and without even looking at him, she takes it, <laughs> just takes it. 
I couldn't believe it. She doomed our son for the rest of his life and didn't even pay attention to it. I couldn't believe it. And so I notice that as we go, we accumulate a bunch of stuff in the parks. I notice that as we go, my kids are constantly coming up to me and say, here, Dad, take this. No, I will not. And then as soon as I, they go right over to her and they, they stick their hand out and she takes it. And she's never paying attention when she does it. She just takes it and doesn't even think a thing about it. And that's when I decided that something needed to be done. And so as she's standing in line getting food for us, I gather the children together, and like any loving husband would, I said, guys, we have got to mess with mom. (laughs) That's when I announced a new game that I had just conceived called Will She Take It? (laughs) I said, listen, you get one point if she just takes the thing that you hand her, okay? You get five points if you can get her to put it in her backpack without her thinking about it. You get 10 points if you hand her straight up trash and she takes it. And then bonus points if we're standing next to a trash can and you hand her trash and she throws it away. You could do it, you could do it and she throws it away. And so for the next few hours, will she take it was a hit. Because the answer to that question is yes. No matter what it was, she would take it. Didn't matter if it came from me, from Gus, from May, from Abe, she would take it. Mini ears, a shirt, a hat, trash, she would take it and she didn't even know she was doing it. Finally, she found us laughing together in the line. She's like, what are y'all laughing about? (laughs) That's when I told her about the game. And we all laughed together and she said, yeah, yeah, that's just mom brain for you. And so I thought, you know, we had a great time. It was good. But she knows she's on to us now. The game is over. About an hour later, we are sitting on a little half wall by a snack cart. And I just finished drinking a Coke out of a plastic bottle. I thought, I wonder. (laughs) She knows, but I just, I wonder. And so, I reach my arm over. And she takes it! (laughs) It's unbelievable! She (laughs) took And so I got the kids back together. I was like, it's back on. She, She still doesn't even know. Even though she knows, she doesn't know. (laughs) And so, uh, the game went on for the rest of the day, and sitting in the hotel room that night, lights are out, we're all going to sleep, and I'm reflecting on the the game that we played and the day that we had, and I was smiling, laughing internally. But then a, a kind of grief sort of rose up with it. Because what I realized in that moment is that I wasn't just witnessing in my wife what she called mom brain. In fact, what I was witnessing was her profound generosity of spirit. 
Like she has something inside of her that is not inside of me that says, whatever you are carrying, I will take it. That's why when our kids get hurt, they run to her for comfort. That's why when they're anxious or they have a bad day, they go to her for advice. And so laying there in that bed after a long day, I cried out, oh Lord, would you give me mom brain? (laughs) Because that is where the fullness of life abides. Now, today, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about generosity. And in church world, in Christian circles, when you hear the word generosity, we almost immediately tie it to money. So I say this word, you immediately think I'm about to talk about money. And of course, that's, that's also true, but that is too narrow of a application when we talk about generosity. Generosity is that posture of soul that is manifested in all places. It's manifested in our relationships. Generosity is manifested in our prayers. Generosity is manifested in our work. It's manifested in everything. It's a whole posture of soul. And if you're like me, you want to be more generous. I do. I cried out for it after seeing it in my wife. For what, it was, for, for what it actually was. I want the people around me and you want the people around you to know that whatever they have, you will help them bear it. Like I know that that's true for all of us. And so, in order to get at this, let's break it down into three topics. Number one, all is grace. Number two, we're gonna look at the reward for generosity. And number three, Paul's command to be generous. So, number one, all is grace. Let's go back to the passage I read at the beginning. Paul says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, last week, Matt preached out of the same passage, but he was emphasizing the part of it that talked about the uncertainty of riches and how we all have this, you know, impulse to consume and accumulate, and if we do that enough, then all shall be well, and we shall be at peace. And so he talked about that last week, but here, this week, I want to emphasize what's going on in the, in a different part of the verse, Um, namely, uh, the positive side, which is in verse 18, excuse me, um, yeah, well, not yet. Um, the uh, positive side, which is to not just to not accumulate things, but to open ourselves, to be generous to those around us. So let's look at that positive side in verse 18. Paul says, they are to do good, that is the rich in this world, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So there's the imperative to be generous but it's not a bare command. He actually shows us how such a thing is possible, and to do that, we back up to verse 17. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, 
nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So first, the rich in this present age are not to be haughty. Now this word haughty, uh, if you look through the scriptures, it occurs quite often. It's almost a synonym for pride. The idea here is self-sufficiency. So what he's saying here is that the, make sure that the rich in this present age don't believe that they are self-sufficient. Someone who is haughty believes that all I have gotten, all that I have accumulated, I have earned for myself. Therefore, because I've worked hard, because I've been virtuous, I am owed prosperity. That's the haughty mindsets. But Paul says, no, set your hopes on God who richly provides you with everything. And so in that word, <clears throat> everything, clearly nothing is accepted, right? He provides you with everything. Paul says it another way in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, where he says, what do you have that you have not received? And if you did receive it, then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? What do you have that you did not receive? So what Paul is saying to us in these combination of verses is, look, <clears throat> line up everything in your life. Set up your finances before you. And then next to that, set up your family and friends. And then next to that, set up your job. And then next to that, set up your home. And then next to that, set up your very salvation and inclusion in the kingdom of God and the family of God. Just look at it, observe it, and then hear these words. What do you have that you have not been given? It is God who provides all things for us to richly enjoy, which is to say, all is grace. All is gift. Nothing is accepted. He says, God has given you everything. Everything. You've earned nothing. I have earned nothing. <clears throat> and even what I've worked for, God has given me that ability to work for it. So all is grace and all is gift. So another way to say all of that is that <clears throat> our Father is a generous God. We'll apply that moniker to him because he is a generous God. Do you remember what the Apostle James said? That every good and perfect gift comes down to us from the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift. None of them are accepted. And so, <clears throat> every single person in this room is the object of God's largesse because he is generous to the point of abundance with us. And so that becomes the foundation of our generosity to others. And it's easy to forget to remember <laughs> that we live and move and have our being in the rich fields of God's abundance that he has so richly provided for us. Like look around your life. If I look around my life, all of us, 
we can see the wheat waving in the wind in all directions. It's astonishing. In fact, if you go back to the Psalms, one of the things you see is that when the Messianic king comes, one of the signs of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God is that the wheat will wave upon the mountaintops. That is an amazing vision. There's no more inhospitable place to plant crops than the top of a mountain, and yet when the messianic king comes, the psalmist says, even the tops of the mountains will be planted, and they will grow, and they will wave in the winds. That's the kind of abundance that we're talking about, and it's easy to forget. And so I'm here to remind you, if we're going to be generous, which we all want to be, nobody wants to be a miser, if we're going to be generous, we must begin by observing God's generosity toward us. And isn't that exactly what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the sower? He says in verse, starting in verse 3, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, we, we tend to look at that parable and we you know, try to break down all the categories and what type of person is with the thorns and the... That's fine. That we, absolutely, yes. But what we tend to forget, <clears throat> what we tend to overlook is this end piece where it says that the sower was just sowing seeds. And when the sower sowed seeds in the good soil, you would expect a one-to-one -one ratio. Like one seed equals one plant, right? I, Maybe that's not how it works, but I'm not a farmer, so I don't know. But I, I assume, I know some stuff, I think one seed equals one plant. But no, in, with this sower, he, see, he throws his seeds, and those seeds produce a hundredfold. What was sown? Sixtyfold, thirtyfold, what was sown? And so we cannot be reminded enough just how generous our God, our Lord has been to us. All is grace, all is gift. Now, to me, that, that ought to be enough. Like, that moves me. I, okay, now I wanna go be generous, but Paul doesn't assume that that's gonna be enough for us, and he goes on to show us the reward for generosity. <clears throat> and he says that, you know what, I was gonna ask for that. He's, he knows what I need before I ask. <laughs> Bible joke. <laughs> Nailed it. That is very helpful. Thank you. <clears throat> this, the allergies, it's killing me. What were we talking about? Right. The reward. The reward. Okay, so back in verse 18. <clears throat> they are to do good, to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future 
so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So Paul here reaches back to Jesus' own teaching on the Sermon on the Mount that we store up treasure for ourselves in heaven by being generous. And what does that mean? What does it mean to store up treasure for ourselves in heaven? Well, we're not actually told what this treasure is going to be. We do know when those treasures will be afforded us, and that is in the future sometime, but we're not told exactly what that treasure is going to be. I I highly doubt that there's like a central bank in the kingdom of God where all of our treasure is being stored, and when we get there, we will buy and sell and have an abundance of, well, we can do whatever we want. No, I don't think that's how it works. Maybe it will. Don't know. Bible doesn't say. But the closest I can come to understanding what this future treasure is, by, by being generous in the present, what is this future treasure that we're storing up for ourselves? <clears throat> what is that treasure? The closest I can come is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 when he says, we shall be inheritors of God. Huh. That is astonishing. That is a treasure. It means we will receive God himself. It means that he will dwell with us. It means that all shall be well. And then, I don't know about you, but the flesh can rise up at that point and say, yeah, but I'm gonna get that anyway. (laughs) I don't have to sacrifice my comforts here in order to get that blessing because I'm getting that anyway. And so the answer to that objection of the flesh comes in the second half of verse 19 he says yes you're storing up treasure for the future but notice so that they may take hold of that which is truly life we've got two realities we've got the storing up in the future and we've got the taking hold in the present did you notice that two realities of time here And so whatever those future rewards end up being, whatever the manifestation of those are, he says there is also a present apprehension of reward. Now remember, let's take a little rabbit trail here. Remember that the New Testament divides time into two, right? We've got this age and we've got the age to come. In fact, you see it here in the scripture at the very beginning in verse 17, Paul says, as for the rich in this present age, he doesn't go on to the age to come. Uh, He does say the future though, but throughout the New Testament, we have these two ages that are constantly being referred to. We've got this age and we've got the age to come. In this age, there are troubles and there are sorrows and there's pain and there's toil and there's death. There's some pleasures and happiness mixed in there too, but this is the character of this age. But the character of the age to come is that God is going to make all things new, that he will dwell with his people in his everlasting kingdom. He will be their God and they will be his people. There will be no more death. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. That is the character of the age to come. Now, If you were to read the Old Testament, what you would find is that by the Old Testament reckoning, these two ages butted up against each other. So this age lasts until the coming of the Messianic King. When the Messianic King comes, 
He will put all of his enemies under his feet and inaugurate the age to come. That's how it was seen back in the Old Testament. But the New Testament, it's kind of astonishing. Jesus holds on to that. He doesn't overturn it, but he gives it some more nuance. In the New Testament, he says that in my life, in my death, and in my resurrection, the kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God is in your midst. He says it 15 different ways, but he says the kingdom of God has arrived. And you know what that means? It means that the, this age and the age to come are no longer two separate ages, but the age to come in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has started to overlap on this age. The future in Jesus, the future has come rushing into the present. <laughs> okay, now... In this age, that means that we have a taste of the age to come. Yes, we still die in this age, but the sting of death has been removed, which is sin, Paul teaches us. Yes, we grieve in this age, but we do not grieve as those who do not have hope. We taste the glory of the future age in this present time. And so by faith, this is the whole message of the New Testament. By faith in Christ and his saving death and resurrection, we participate in this age and the blessings of the age to come. So why am I saying all this? Because when we give ourselves to generosity, Paul says we are taking hold this, in, in the present, we are taking hold of life, which is truly life. We are apprehending the life in the age to come, and it is happening now. The blessings of that future age are coming and rushing into our present lives at this moment. In the kingdom, there is going to, in the, in the age to come, there will be no more sin, and therefore there will be no selfishness, no miserly, cramped spirits. We'll spend everlasting years drinking from the cup of God's everlasting generosity, and that will overflow from us into others, and that will be no small part of our joy. We will experience the fullness of life in that self-giving, in that generosity, in that time, and our, our happiness, in, at least in some part, will be bound up in how generous we can be to others. And don't you long for that? I long for that. Nobody has ambitions to be a miser, but we can be because of fear and insecurity. But consider the day when those fears and insecurities are cast into the sea and sunk to the bottom. In that day, we shall be remade into the image of the self-giving God your whole being, like his, will be defined by self-giving. Don't you long for that? This is what Paul means when he says, the life that is truly life. 
that as we are generous in this present age, we take hold of that life, which is truly life. And the reason that we can do that is because that's the life of Christ in us. He was the one who gave himself for our lives so that we may have a taste of that future today. And so, number three, then, he says, therefore, be generous. Be generous. In light of all that, be generous. That's the application. If your heart is stirred by this, like mine is, be generous. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your money. Be generous with your expertise. Be generous in your relationships. When a kid hands you a piece of trash, you take it. (laughs) Lord, help me. Whatever good gift the Father has given you has been given to you so that you may bless the world and those who belong to you. And and look, we're, we're different kinds of people. I know that. We have different temperaments represented here. Some of you are more like my wife, and, and you are just more generous by temperament. Some of you are more like me, and you're more cramped and, you know, carry your own stuff kind of mentality. But Paul is not telling us here to put on the temperament of another person. He's saying be filled with the Spirit and give yourselves beyond what your temperament can naturally bear because that is what Christ has done for us. And if you want the most beautiful picture in the world of what Christ has done for us in that regard, we see it in Philippians chapter two. I know this is a familiar passage, but let it in, oh my goodness. Paul says, starting in verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's just another way of saying what we've been saying this whole time. Be generous, let their interests overcome yours. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think of that. Jesus Christ, the King of glory, the King of the ages, the very word of God by which the Father created all things the preeminent one in whom all things hold together. He looked at those privileges and he said, I do not count those worthy to keep grasping. I don't count those worthy to keep holding on to. And so he clothed himself with poverty. He submitted himself to an ignoble death. He gave every bit of himself. He poured himself out until there was not a drop left in the cup. And here we behold the unfathomable generosity of our God in all of its fullness. He did that not for himself. Let me remind you. (laughs) He did this for you. He did this for me. 
Do you believe this? If so, then that means you are remade into the image of Christ. You are remade into the image of the self-giving one, of the one who poured out himself without any thoughts for grasping onto his privileges. And he has sown the seeds of redemption in your life and mine with a magnanimous hand. Just look around. Look around. See the wheat that is waving all through the fields. Look up to the mountaintops and see the wheat that waves in the wind up there in the most inhospitable of places because the king of glory has come to bring the flourishing of the age to come into this present age in your life and in mine. And so what we are being invited into today is in essence our birthright to be generous to give ourselves, and by so doing, store up treasures in heaven, in the future, and to take hold of that which is truly life in this age. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, our entire life depends upon your generosity if you hadn't stooped to send your son, if he hadn't poured himself out for the sake of our lives, we would be without hope in this world. And so I pray that as you have made us and remade us into his image, that you would grant us the same spirit to be generous to our children, to be generous to our friends, our colleagues, to be generous in every way that it is possible to be generous. And we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now we come to the table, as we do every week, and if you wanna know what the generosity of God tastes like, he offers it to us in this meal. Bread, which is the symbol of his broken body. A cup, which is the symbol of his poured out blood of the covenant for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. And so, brothers and sisters, come and welcome to Jesus Christ.